Hey, this is Brian Johnson with the Mid-City Vineyard Church Weekly Teaching Conversation. If you want to learn a little bit more about Mid-City Vineyard, you can check us out online, midcityvineyard.org. Check us out on Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, and on Facebook, also Mid-City Vineyard. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be celebrating Lent together, and our conversations each week will revolve around the Lenten season. And what we're doing this year is we're going to be taking one day in the life of the last week of Jesus and giving it a whole week where we're going to be talking about it. So over the next six weeks, we'll be looking at the basically the last six days of Jesus' life leading up to the crucifixion and then to Easter. So this week, uh, we start with what is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. Uh, in the scripture, it's sometimes referred to as the triumphal entry when Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem seated on a donkey. So we're going to head on over to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Much peace to you. <laughs> so Wednesday, this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday on the church calendar kicks off the season of Lent. Traditionally in the church, Lent is the time of year where we take the 40 days between Fat Tuesday and or Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. And oftentimes, uh, well, traditionally in the church, this represents the time, the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert being tempted uh, by the accuser, by the Satan. And so... What has happened in the church is we take the 40 days of Lent, and oftentimes people understand this as a time to to reflect on um, loss or to reflect on death, to reflect on the loss of something as it is is a season of time where something must die in order that we might once again experience new life and resurrection. Traditionally, this is kind of the thought process of the season of Lent. And so a lot of times we'll take a... Uh, the six weeks leading up to Easter, and we will do a series uh, based on something around that. And so what we're doing this year for our Lent series is we've decided to take, and and it's just so you understand how this works, the the final week of Jesus' life, the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, leading up to his death and then resurrection on Easter Sunday, that week is... is, um, uh, oftentimes celebrated that particular week. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter, and then you have the Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday. We're going to have a Holy Thursday dinner when Jesus would have shared a meal with his disciples. Then on Good Friday, he dies. Okay, comes back to life on Sunday, resurrection. We're going to take each of those days leading up, and we're going to devote a week to it in in time. So this week, we are going to talk about the events that took place on Palm Sunday. Next week, we will take we will take a look at the events that took place on the Monday before his death and so on and so forth. That's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks for our Lent series. So today we will be looking at the passage in Mark chapter 11 when Jesus actually enters the city of Jerusalem. You might be familiar with the story when Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. But before we get to that, I want to I want you to think about this for a minute. <clears throat> when you have a choice, 
between two things. How do you decide? For instance, we just celebrated Mardi Gras, so how did you decide which parades you were going to go to? Maybe you could only go to one parade on that particular weekend. You had to choose between Endymion or Bacchus. You know? So how do, you, how do you decide? Really, how do you decide? What's that? Weather. Weather? <laughs> Location. No, no, you have to decide. <laughs> I, de- I decide. You could do that. Okay, what if they're at the same time? What if you have a friend that's riding? What I think at the same time is Bach. Oh, and, uh, and then yeah, okay. So what do you do? You what? A pro and con list. All right, but the bottom line is, you have to choose if they're running at the same time. You can't be two places at once. <laughs> it might work. Might work. You have to choose. All right. I, nobody, but, but maybe. Okay, I want you to keep that, that thought in mind. Mark chapter 11. Here's, here's what takes place. I'm going to read this. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Mark writes this. He says, As they approached Jerusalem and they came upon Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it. And bring it here. And if anyone asks you, what are you doing? Just say, oh, the Lord needs it. And he'll send it back shortly. They went and they found the colt outside in the street, tied in a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing asked, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they said, just what Jesus told them. Well, the Lord needs it. And then they let the colt go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it. He sat on it, and many spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went ahead of him followed and shouted, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of the way of God. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts, and he looked around at everything. Since it was already late, He went out to Bethany with his 12 disciples. Now, there are a number of things about this particular passage that most of us probably don't know. And that's why we're going to be looking at it um, so intently today. If you like history, you'll really enjoy today. If you don't, just bear with me. But here's, here's the thing. On Palm Sunday, this is the kickoff of the celebration of Passover. The Jewish people... Every year, for, <clears throat> for thousands of years at this point, had been celebrating Passover. The time that they recognized when God set them free from Egyptian slavery, set them free, and brought them into their own land. It was the time of Passover when God set them free. Every year they would celebrate this meal and this time together. And as Jesus comes into the city to celebrate Passover, he's riding on a donkey. He's riding on a donkey, and the people are celebrating. And they're saying, welcome, Jesus, welcome. And they're throwing cloaks on the ground and palm branches on the ground. Now, here's something that we need to understand. The writer, Mark. The writer, Mark, knows something that you and I do not know. 
and he doesn't even bother writing about it. <clears throat> One of the reasons, I think, is because the writer Mark, just like most of the authors of the New Testament, they actually believed that Jesus was going to return in their day. Like that was like Mark did not write the book of Mark for me and for you. He wrote the book of Mark for the people that he was sending the letter to right then. And they would have had information that you and I don't have, information that he didn't even write about. Here's some of the information that they would have had. First off, Jerusalem is considered to be a holy city. At the time, uh, uh, Micah, do we have the timeline? I want to show you this timeline. This is really neat. So <clears throat> Jerusalem, first off, is a super, super ancient city. New Orleans, we just celebrated 300 years. Jerusalem just celebrated like 5,000 years. I mean, these, these guys have been around for a really long time. From 3150 to 1000 before the Common Era, Jerusalem and that area, Israel, was uh, um, um, owned or possessed by the Canaanites. Then the Israelites move into town from 1000 to 586. In 586, the Babylonians come and take the Israelites. This is where the Bible is based. This is the time that the Bible is based. The Babylonians come in. They take the Israelites captive. The Assyrians come in. They take the other part of Israel captive. But the Babylonians, the Persians, even the Greeks had a time. The Greeks, you're familiar with Alexander the Great from your, your study in world history. Uh, Alexander the Great ruled, but you know, the, the time of the Greek rule um, anywhere from 300 to, to uh, zero. The Romans come in in 37, they take over Jerusalem, and then the Byzantines come in in 324, and they take over Jerusalem, and then the Muslims come in, the early Muslim conquest, and they take over, and then there's the Crusades, which apparently were Christian again, but that's kind of weird, because they were killing all the people. And then the Ottomans come in from this time to up to 17, then the British come in, and they take Jerusalem, and now Jerusalem is once again under Jewish um, rule. And it's currently a state now. So this is your timeline of what's going on. Let's go back up to 1,000. In 1,000, Jerusalem becomes the capital city of Israel. David is the king. David is the king, and Israel is experiencing, and Jerusalem is experiencing greatness, great power, great name. David's son Solomon builds this temple. I'm going to show you a picture of the temple next week. The temple is unbelievable. It is ornate. It's gorgeous. It's huge. The temple... For the Jewish people, they understood this is where God lives. Like, really, this is where God lives. If we want to meet with God, then we go to the temple. The temple is the place where God dwells. Jerusalem became this place of devotion. It became this place of pilgrimage. People, Jewish people, would go from all over the region and go to Jerusalem at least once a year during Passover to celebrate Passover and to be part of the, the thing that, they, that God is doing there. And for hundreds of years, Jerusalem is known as the city of God. The city of God. It's, it's, this, it's, it's this important. But over time, <clears throat> Jerusalem moves away from what God intended it to be. God always wanted the people to represent him to the whole world. And people say, oh, that's the, the, the city of God. And those are the people of God. And God is beautiful. And God is good. And God is just. 
and God cares for the world. That's what the Jewish people were supposed to be known for. But what happens is they go an opposite direction. Over time, Jerusalem becomes a place and even the temple becomes a system known as a domination system. It becomes a way of organizing society where Jerusalem becomes and the temple becomes a place of political oppression. It becomes a place of economic exploitation and it's all under the, the guise of well, this is the way God wants it. It becomes a very dangerous system. It's a domination system where a few rule the many. This is what's happening in Jerusalem. And when you look at your Old Testament, when you look at your Old Testament and you read it with this understanding, there are some things that stand out to you. Listen to what Micah, four five hundred years before Christ, says this, listen, Israel, listen, you rulers in the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate good and you seem to love evil, you tear the skin off of people. You, you, you tear the flesh off their bones. Hear this. You abhor justice. You pervert equity. You who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. You're doing this wrong is what Micah is saying to the people of Israel. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. You, you run. He's talking you, you people of Israel. Those of you who are supposed to look like God to the whole world. You run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. You look around and take note. Search its squares. See if you can find one person who acts justly and who seeks truth. Has the temple, which is called by God's name, become a, become a den of robbers? This is the city that needs to be punished. There's nothing but oppression here. You know what Jeremiah is saying is, listen, the temple has become a den of robbers, meaning you do wrong on the outside of the temple walls, but then you come to the temple and you worship God and you act like everything's good. You're robbing people on the outside and then you're just coming in. It's a den for robbers. You've got this backwards. You're not taking care of each other. You're not taking care of, of one another. You're not taking care of people. The prophets are warning Israel over and over and over again. <clears throat> Here's what happens. 1,586... The Jews are ruling. It's a powerful time. But the prophets are saying, listen, if you don't come back to your roots, if you don't love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you don't care for one another, if you don't care for the widow, for the orphan, if you don't care for, for the, the immigrant, if you don't care for one another, if you don't represent me, things aren't going well. You're not, you're not in line. Well, in 586, that's when the Babylonians and the Assyrians come in and they take them captive. The whole thing blows up. They come in, the Babylonians and the Assyrians, they come in and they destroy the temple. Like, literally, they, they bust it, they burn it, they break it down. When that happens to the Jewish people, they believe that's where God lives. And they're going like, oh, what do we do now? So they fight and they fight. And they fight, and they're always trying to get their land back, and they're always trying to get their temple rebuilt. Well, 
there's, a, there's something in the Old Testament called Second Temple Judaism, and that's when one of the Assyrian or the Persian leaders lets Nehemiah and some others go back and start rebuilding the temple. So they do that. The high priests, the authorities, they come back into rule a little bit, and they try to get their feet back under them. And as they start to get their feet back under them, they hate being under the oppression of others. They're basically a, a they get their land back, but someone else is ruling over them, the Persians, the Greeks. So this guy by the name of Judas, Maccabees, he's like, hey, I'm going to be your guy. I'm going to win Jerusalem back for us. So in 164 BC, before Jesus, Judas Maccabees comes in and he mounts a revolt. And they actually win their town back. They win their independence back for about 100 years. And people are like, woohoo, it's us again. We got our, we got our, temple area back our little temple and we got our city back but then rome comes to power i don't know if you're familiar with the roman empire they rule the whole world for quite a while rome comes in and they say you know what we like your your land we we like we don't we don't like you people so much but we like your land so you know what you're just gonna live for us now we won't we won't totally kill you or destroy you well the jews try to fight it so the Romans want to show their power during this time. They come in, they take the land back, they crucify, crucify 2,000 Jews up and, up and down the road that leads to Jerusalem. 2,000 people hanging on crosses. You know why they put people on crosses in Rome? There was only one reason. They would put you on a cross if you came up against the empire. You could do a lot of stuff. And you could get killed a lot of ways. But if you were going to get crucified, it's because you came up against the empire. Because it was long, and it was excruciating, and it was very public. You come up against the empire, we're going to put you on a cross for everybody to see. Or fall in line. Rome comes in, they put some people in place. Herod, you know him as Herod the Great. He's crazy. Like, really crazy. He's super wealthy. And he's loyal to the Romans. He's like, hey, I'll rule, I'll rule the whole area. I'll, I'll be the king of the Jews, is what he was known as. I'll be the king of the Jews. You guys, Rome, you take care of me. I'll take care of the area. He eventually dies. Rome breaks his stuff up into three. His territory into three. Gives it to Herod's three crazy sons. Herod Antipas, Philip, and Archelaus. Archelaus had the area where, Jew, uh, where Jerusalem was. Uh, Archelaus was a special kind of crazy. He didn't do a very good job, so Rome kicked him out. They said, you know what, Archelaus, we don't need you to rule the Jerusalem area. We're just going to rule it with our own governor. We're going to put a guy by the name of Pilate in charge right here in Jerusalem. Pilate's in charge. You might recognize that name. You might know him as Pontius Pilate. He's the guy that washes his hands of not hanging Jesus on a cross and then hangs Jesus on a cross. Pilate did not like living in Jerusalem. So what he did was he went and lived in this place called Caesarea Maritima, which is a coastal city. Gorgeous. I've actually had the chance to, to be there. It's on the Mediterranean. The water is amazing. Herod had built a palace there, which was it had pools and colonnades and Pilate's like, I'm just going to live there. I'll live there. And all the while, 
the temple and Jerusalem is going to be the place where I'll, I'll, I'll exercise my rule from. I'm going to put some Jews in place, and they're going to pay taxes to me. I'll put some Jews in place. They'll pay taxes to me. But this is where the politics is going to take place, right here at the temple. This is where we're going to exploit people. We're going to take their land from them. The wealthy are going to continue to get wealthier. The high priest, this is the, the, the high priest, the elders, all of these were people who were put in place by Pilate. They were in his back pocket. The only way people had any wealth in this time was if they had land. If they couldn't, if their land didn't produce, then they would have to mortgage their land. Who would they mortgage it to? They would go to the high priest. They would go to the elders, the people who could give them money in return as they mortgaged their land to them. Eventually, they would lose their land, and the wealthy became wealthier. The poor became poorer. This is how it was taking place. And the system just kept getting worse and worse and worse for the Jewish people. Pilate lives his little comfortable life up in Caesarea Maritima. On Passover, Palm Sunday, here's something that we might not know. Jesus was going to come in through the east gate. Uh, put up the east gate here. Check this out. Actually, you know what? Put up the map first. Put up the map. Some of you are like, oh, map. I'm so excited. I love maps. <laughs> Caesarea Philippi. You see it? Up on the coast? Uh, not Philippi. Uh, Maritima. You see that? That's where Pilate was hanging out. That's his place. Beautiful. I, I, again, I can't, I can't stress that enough. Jerusalem, right here. Okay? Jesus. Oh, uh, where? Nazareth. Nah. Where's, way up yeah, where's Galilee? Way up, way up by the Sea of Galilee. There it is. Okay, Galilee. Jesus. Jesus and his disciples are going to make the track down. They're up in Galilee. And he's like, hey, Palm Sunday's coming. Well, it, they didn't call it Palm Sunday at that time. <laughs> Sunday's coming. We're going to go down from Galilee, and we're going to go to Jerusalem. Because it's the week of Passover, and that's what all the Jews are doing at this point. We're going to celebrate. At the exact same time, Pilate knows that there's a giant party happening in Jerusalem. And somebody's got to keep the peace. So Pilate leaves Caesarea with his army. And he has his own entrance the exact same day. Pilate mounts his horse. Because there's always a guy on a horse. Pilate mounts his horse. He has, listen, this is a Roman governor. He has his centurions. He has his soldiers. They have their spears. They have their eagles on poles. They have their horses. They have their chariots. Pilate's is a show of power. And he is going to enter Jerusalem on this Sunday. Jesus knows this. You ever wonder when Jesus says, hey, and when you go find the donkey, if they're like, hey, what are you doing with our donkey? Just say the Lord needs it. This was not some Jedi trick. The Lord needs the donkey. <laughs> this, was, this was planned. Jesus had already set this up. This is a protest. This is a counter procession that Jesus is setting up. Hey, go get the donkey. 
And if they say, what's the donkey for? Say, this is the one that the Lord, you know, he reserved this donkey earlier. Just go get the donkey. There's a military march coming in the west gate of Jerusalem. And the military march is a display of imperial power. We are the Romans and we are not to be messed with. We're here to keep the peace. You can have your little party and you can think, you know, you're free. But we're the boss. On the other side, there's a man by the name of Jesus who is not riding on a horse. Have you ever, have you ever gone up to the, the cops on bourbon when they're on their horses? It is intimidating. A horse. It's a war machine. It, horses were the war machines. They were the tanks of their day. Jesus comes in on a donkey. This is a protest. Put up the temple gate. Jesus comes in. This is what Jesus would have entered through. This is the east gate. It's called the, the, the gate of the beautiful gate. Jesus would have come down through the Mount of Olives. And he would have ridden on this donkey through this gate. And you see what he sees as he's entering this gate? The place of what has turned into the place of political power? The temple. Economic um, disparity and religious legitimization. All this is being done in the name of God. And he's going to take his donkey right up to the temple. Everything Jesus does in the last days, this is why we're going to spend a week on this, is intentional. Jesus is, Jesus is brilliant. And he's going to get himself killed for this. I just wanted to show you this, too, because I got a chance to see this when I was in Israel. This is the East Gate today. There's a, there's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about the Messiah coming through the East Gate. Well, the, during the, um, uh, during the uh, Ottoman time, the Muslims came in and they put a wall. They filled in the East Gate. And they planted a cemetery right on the outside of it because by Jewish law, you can't associate or go through a cemetery or be part of the dead. So this is their way of keeping the Messiah out of the East Gate. Like There's so much rich history going on here. Like this is how it is today. There's a cemetery and a, a blocked off gate. Can you walk up to it now? <clears throat> yeah, you can still walk through the Mount of Olives and come up on it. But you can't go through the cemetery. It's <laughs> walled up cemetery. Um all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up with, with a question for us. But Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9 through 10. Old Testament, this was 500, 600 years earlier. Tell Zion, Jerusalem, the people, Look, your king is coming, humble and mounted on a donkey. He'll cut off the chariot from Israel and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be cut off, and he will command peace to the nations. This is how the Old Testament prophets understood what the Messiah would do. The Messiah would be one that brings peace to earth, would do away with violence, and would do away with, with power over, would do away with the inequity. The king riding on a donkey, 
Zechariah is saying is going to banish war. No more chariots and war horses or bows. No more tanks and F-15s and AK-47s. Like, this, this king is the commanding king, commanding peace to the nations. And he will be a king of peace. Jesus' procession deliberately counters Pilate's possession. What's happening on the other side of the city? His procession, Pilate's, embodies power and glory and violence and an empire that would rule the world. Jesus' procession embodies an alternative vision which would be called the way of God. By his actions, Jesus is speaking out against the domination system. And Jesus says to his followers, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. Here's what we've done in modern day. Pick up your cross. Well, I got this gimpy leg. This is just my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus meant. I'm going through this rough patch in my relationship. This is just my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus only understood the cross, the literal cross, in one way. The cross is what you get when you come up with the way of the world, when you come up against the domination system. That's what who got the cross in Rome. People who got hung on a cross came up against Rome's way of doing things. The cross represented the denial of imperial authority. The cross meant to take it on as imperial retribution. The domination system is not in place for those who follow Jesus. So the question is, which parade do we go to? People that day had a choice. Which parade do we go to? In the Psalms, David wrote, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will put our trust in the Lord. Which parade? The one in imperial power over on the west side of Jerusalem, or the one where the king comes in on a donkey, and it looks weak, and it looks nimble, and it looks pathetic. And he says, listen, we're going we're gonna to tear down this system, but we're going to do it from underneath. We're going to get more into this, but I do want to just remind you. The people who were throwing palm branches down, they were thinking Jesus is the next Judas Maccabees. Remember the guy I told you about who 100 years ago revolted and won Israel's freedom for a, a, a small time? Jesus, he's, he's going to be the, our next Judas Maccabees. He's going to free us from the Romans. Pilate's on a horse. Jesus is on a donkey. And there's a part of him that's going, oh, crap. What in the world is this? Well, we'll still, we'll still give him a shot. Seems like the best thing we got going right now. Every week that we talk about this is going to build on the next week. Because Jesus went through that gate. At the end of Mark, at the end of that passage, it says Jesus went through the gate. He went up to the temple. He looked around. Turned around. Left the gate. Went over to Bethany. Slept over there. Him and his disciples hung out, ate dinner. Wakes up the next morning. Comes back into Jerusalem. Goes into the temple. And starts throwing tables around. That's what we'll talk about next week. He did that on Monday. Why? Why is he throwing tables around? I don't want to give you too much, but you can go ahead and start reading ahead. Start reading ahead. 
Today's question and this week's question for you and for me during Lent, which parade do you go to? Because to, to, pick a, to choose a parade, because you can't go to both. They're all on different sides of the city at the exact same time. To choose a parade is to kind of line up with how we're going to live our life. But when you choose that, it actually costs something. 